Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Monday Motivation. Today's topic is, I think, super important. It's about unperfecting, dealing with the perfectionist tendencies. So perfectionism is actually a very serious problem. I recently read a quote by Margaret Atwood, who's the author of the famed book, The Handmaid's Tale. And it really struck me. I was like, I need to talk about this because it brought up what I have seen over and over through my teacher trainings, through my interactions with thousands of people, being a parent, the woes of perfectionism. So she wrote, if I waited for perfection, I would never write a word. And I thought that was so powerful because it really speaks to the fact that perfectionism blocks us it stops us from really enjoying life and it stops us from showcasing our talent. It hinders us from taking risk. Experts tend to define perfectionism as a combination of excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. So I did some research on perfectionism. I had my own ideas, but I wanted to see like what has been revealed in studies. And it is revealed that it is really toxic. Perfectionism is this trait that makes um, someone's life an endless report card on how you do, how you look, if you're successful. But that report card is never really giving you a long-term fulfillment. 
So there's a difference between perfectionism and high achieving. So high achieving in a healthy form is extremely motivating. You can be really successful. You have a high bar, but it's healthy. It's not going into the traits that really are more defined in perfectionism or more found in perfectionism. So perfectionists, you might know them, you might be one, really tend to set unrealistically high expectations, not only for themselves, but for others. So they tend to really find fault quickly um, with themselves and others and are excessively critical of any kind of mistakes. Another big trait in perfectionism, which I had found by by speaking with others and by um, noticing this in relatives of mine that are perfectionists, they tend to procrastinate. So procrastination is a, can be a cardinal sign for perfectionist traits because you procrastinate because you're fearful of failure. So you don't start. And that's kind of what Margaret Atwood was alluding to. She would never have picked up a pen because she would be immediately um, anticipating potential failure. And that is just not something that sits well with perfectionists. So instead of celebrating success, perfectionists have a really hard time taking compliments, accepting any kind of rewards or success because they're just continually holding the bar higher than they are perceiving that they're matching. So when perfectionism becomes toxic, it not only blocks you from success, like Margaret Atwood was alluding to, but it blocks you from even trying to do things because of this need to avoid failure. And that shows up in personal habits, professional habits. Sometimes perfectionists have a hard time showing affection or receiving affection and love because, again, there's just no room for error. And all of that affection and approval is based on this unrealistic, flawless performance from others, whether it's in a relationship professionally or personally. And so the striving for perfection can really lead to a lot of negative outcomes, which I'll talk about in the research. Not only that avoiding of the challenge, that lack of creativity because you're afraid to even start anything, but this over and rigid thinking, this consistently kind of toxic comparisons with others where they are. And I see this sometimes in my teacher trainings. People are really, or not only in teacher trainings, just in dealing with yoga teachers or talking with my lit family, they start looking on social media and that comparison is just there. It's so natural to do, but when you take it to the excess and that you feel worse about yourself, you have more anxiety, more depression, and you're not motivated to do anything because you're always comparing what you do with others, that's very toxic. So studies have shown that constantly going for this illusion of perfection is very damaging for the mental health and well-being. Gordon Flett and Paul Hewitt are two leading authorities in the field of perfectionism. Yes, there is a field, as there is for everything. And they've studied this for decades. So Flett is um, located in Ontario, Canada. He's a professor at the Faculty of Health at York University. And Hewitt is a professor of psychology in University of British Columbia. So they're both in Canada. 
And these psychologists defined the three main facets of perfectionism in a, in a study they published about t- three decades ago. They say there's self-oriented perfectionism, other-oriented perfectionism, and socially prescribed perfectionism. The authors explain that the socially pres- prescribed perfectionism is the most debilitating of those three forms. So in that socially prescri- prescribed perfectionism, individuals believe their social context is excessively demanding that others judge them harshly, and that they must display perfection to secure approval. So you can imagine what that must feel like in all situations, social situations. You're assuming that people are judging you. (laughs) You're assuming that you, if you do anything shy of being perfect, you will not get approval. And that's just, it's already setting up for something futile because you're never going to match what you perceive people want from you. So it makes sense that people in in this perfectionist mode are going to have mental health problems. And that's what these specialists found, that their anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation are repeatedly linked with this form of perfectionism. Other research has shown that self-oriented perfectionism is linked with eating disorders and even premature death among college students and young people. They have this, quote, irrational importance to be perfect and hold unrealistic expectation of themselves and are punitive in their self-evaluations, close quote. Wow. I mean, that's a hard space to live in, living with that internalized voice of perfectionism, leading to all these maladaptive behaviors, punitive behaviors. And even if you're not quite there, a lot of people can relate to having a harsh internal dialogue, which is otherwise known as the inner critic. But can you imagine an inner critic that's always telling you you're not enough? No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, the inner critic with the toxic perfectionism is kind of always, always on. And According to recent estimates, almost 30% of undergraduate students experience symptoms of depression and perfectionism has been widely associated with these symptoms. So what contributes to perfectionism? These were some of the things that have been isolated as being contributors to perfectionism. Role models. So if you grow up around perfectionists, that can obviously influence the way your belief system is, that the Those people are role modeling that perfectionism is the only means by which you're loved or accepted. So that is hard to undo if you've been raised that way. It's not impossible, though. It's really important to take note of that and realize that that was, in a way, an environment, an ecosystem you were raised in that was unhealthy and that had nothing to do with you and your ability to achieve, to be happy, to be successful. So role models, I think probably of all of these might be the hardest because they were influential early on, but it's not too late. All right, we'll get to that. Another thing, comparison. Boy, I mean, social media is wonderful. I love it. And I think I'm old enough and past the stage where Scrolling and looking at other people is just not a way I spend my time. But 
it is a perfect setup for comparison. It just makes it easy and more dangerous to compare yourself to others. And I think we all know that, you know, what you see is just a glimpse and often a very curated glimpse of what people's lives are. Comparing yourself to others who seem perfect is just going to further seal (laughs) this already existing feeling that you're not good enough. And you're just confirming that and reaffirming it over and over again. What are the, some other things they found? Labels. So when people use labels that kind of give you this feeling of all or nothing, it is shown that this could be evidence of a perfectionist. So these labels would be like, I'm a good cook. I'm a bad cook, right? What does that mean? Is like, you know, are you always going to do a good job cooking or are you always going to stink at cooking? Like, it's better to say something like, I enjoy cooking. I'm always learning about cooking, like instead of labeling good and bad. So I see this again, a lot in kind of in the yoga world in not just my teacher training, but with others, with students who come in and and immediately will say, well, I'm really bad at yoga. And I always say, what do you mean by that? Like, I genuinely don't understand. How can you be bad at yoga? It's not something to do to something to be good at or bad at. And that goes back to this kind of comparison. If you are comparing to others, like your ability to move a certain way or to, you know, have the innate ability to put your foot behind your head or something, it's really a losing game. And so avoid the labels of kind of labeling yourself as something, you know, good or bad, as opposed to I'm really working hard to be the best I can. I love teaching yoga, but I'm not going to say I'm good or bad at it. The other thing that really can be contributed or contribute to perfectionism is having ideals. Like we see there's a lot of idealistic messages about perfection around us. And I think it's important to, again, have faith that we we can do our best and know that we're going to have like lots of failures and fall down, so to speak. And that's great because there is no perfect. But when we have these idealistic messages about perfection around us, it really sets those unrealistic goals. And then we are constantly feeling imperfect. So how do we counter perfectionism? So again, there's a difference between striving for our best, striving for excellence, and going into perfectionist mode where nothing is going to be good enough because there is no such thing as perfectionism. So um, a recent study by Madeline Ferrari found that self-compassion can help protect against depression with people who have perfectionist tendencies. She really recommends mindfulness, self-compassion training, and yoga, (laughs) for instance. So both of those practices give you an opportunity to kind of change your inner voice, change the critical inner voice. And the studies that she, the clinical trials that she performed show that an eight-week training in these courses boosted the participants' level of self-compassion by around 43%. Another thing we can do to help combat perfectionism is really let go of this comparison mindset that so many people live with, always comparing themselves to 
other people to an impossible ideal. It is exhausting and it's toxic. And it's hard not to, again, when we're in this world where we, we are just flooded with images and information and digital kind of content that tells us we're not enough in some way because it wants to sell us something. So we need to really curb that comparison mindset. And that can seriously help all of us have be able to achieve at a high level without feeling like we're never going to meet this impossibly perfect ideal. So there's ways to do that. And I have come up with an acronym because I love acronyms. And I'm, this is kind of pulling all these ideas together. And you could put this up on your wall, write it down and use this as your kind of directory roadmap to getting out of being a perfectionist. So the acronym is unperfect because I know unperfect is not really imperfect is the word, but we're trying to unperfect, right? So it is unperfecting, unperfect. So you for unperfect, undo expectations and be more present. So again, if we're always expecting, you know, someone to do this, my, I should be able to do that. Just this constant, so there's a lot of in expectations, you're in a way always living in a future mindset. And in that future mindset, you're holding the bar at a height that no one can achieve, including yourself. So undoing those expectations and being more present will really help again with this letting go of the comparison mindset, not always thinking that you're not going to be able to achieve something. It's really a way of, you know, having goals but undoing the expectations attached with those goals. So we talk about this a lot in yoga. How do you free yourself? It's, it's, we're human, so this is not going to be perfect. How do you free yourself of the expectation, of the outcome, of the attachment? It's really hard, but being more present in your day-to-day life will help with this. And there's ways to do that, which I'll get into. Okay, in. Notice your thoughts. So here's one way to do it. Noticing your thoughts is practicing mindfulness. So practicing mindfulness is as simple as noticing. It's not saying those thoughts are going to be great or kind, but it's first noticing them because that allows you to be present in the moment and not just jump on the train of the thought and then get into that super negative place of self-judgment and toxicity. So if you first notice your thoughts, you can actually catch them. It's like catching kind of bad behavior as it's before it really like explodes. (laughs) So notice your thoughts and start with very small steps toward a larger step of shifting those thoughts. But the first stage of shifting them in going into more compassionate self-talk versus negative self-judgment is to notice them. All right, P, practice mindfulness. Now you do this not only by noticing, but you do it through movement, meditation. Now I always say to people, you can meditate in movement because what you're doing is honing in to the immediate experience that you're having. So I'm a real big believer and I've seen it, not you know in my own laboratory where people start doing this lit practice, which is going into core integration, going into 
a feeling and an understanding of movement versus a just imitation of a movement or an attempt to get a movement for some like glorification that doesn't even exist. And in that, that paying attention moment to moment through your movement, you are mindful. You are practicing mindfulness. And then you will do that with much more success when you're not moving. So you could be meditating and sitting and notice your thoughts there, but you can also practice this on the mat. When you come into something in yoga practice, and you can apply this also to like your running or something else that another movement practice. But when you start to have some like, oh, this is hard, boy, I suck at this, on and on and on. What can you do with that? You can change it. Noticing it is the first thing because you're not going to jump on the train of perfectionist quality. And so again, doing it through movement is very successful because our bodies are always present, as I mentioned often. E, embrace errors. Don't expect them, but embrace them. So that's a difference, right? If you're always thinking, I'm going to mess up, then you're not going to start. And that's a huge problem with perfectionist is this complete, you know, fear of not being perfect. So we need to actually kind of reverse our thinking about failure. Failure and errors are lessons. They're lessons. They might be lessons of, oh, I can do this in a different way that will probably be better for me. Or actually that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And I learned from that. So we need to embrace them as lessons and we need to embrace them because they are part of life. I mean, my gosh, we are going to be full of errors. How would we change if we didn't make mistakes? It's the knowing that we are embracing, like embrace that I, you know, used to be this way, but I'm actually wanting to shift that. So learning, growing from our mistakes, releasing any of the shame that goes along with that. Just embrace them. Don't shame the errors and don't expect them. Know they're going to happen and embrace them. All right. R, repeat mantras. Okay. You know, some people think this is hokey. Some people actually live by this. So if you're one that has any skepticism, try it. But what's a mantra that would really, really help you celebrate getting going, trying to be a little bit more positive with your feelings of, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to give it my best. You know, what is a mantra you need to say? Could it just be like, I love myself. You know, I'm doing the best I can. Be kind. And that might be something. Sometimes I'll write things on my little whiteboard for my kids. And what I noticed with my daughter is she needs great affirmations, but she doesn't like anything too hokey. So one time I wrote on there, life can really suck sometimes, but you'll keep rising up, you know, or something like something to that degree, which was acknowledging like, Hey, this is a hard time and I'm not going to take it away from you with some flowery affirmation because that would be that kind of, you know, that ideal, the idealistic message. So I'm sitting there being like, you know, saying something ideal. And she's like, well, actually this kind of is hard right now. So it's, it's like acknowledging it, but also giving it like, you know what, keep your chin up. So whatever mantra that you need, put it on a little sticky note. I have a whiteboard 
I am wiping it down and writing new ones all the time. Mantras, sayings, because it's just like, boom, I see it. It reminds me. It's a way of getting me back in the present moment. And for anyone who really does have that train that goes right into perfectionist tunnel, you need, you need all the little help you can to stop the train from continuing. So put some things up around your house, at your computer, wherever you need it, and repeat, repeat, because your brain is listening and your mind is listening. And little by little, it will start to shift. And you need to celebrate the small, small shifts because that's what will keep you coming back. All right, F, fuck fear, okay? Come on, fear is always present. You know, it has been said that at at the core of every choice is love or fear. It's between love or fear. And fear is a huge um, motivator for some, and it's a huge deterrent. And for a perfectionist, fear is, it literally is a, um, not just a roadblock, it's a complete, like, gap in like in the br- the bridge is gone and you can't you know it, you're just not going to get across that bridge because there's nothing it's like a hole and you're just going to sink down that's what fear is it paralyzes perfectionists because they're so afraid of negative possibility of not meeting expectations that they don't start so you need to kind of like punch and say fuck you to the fear and instead Little by little, enjoy taking risk. And I don't mean risk like, you know, something that's risky, but some th- something that you have in the past perceived as risk. And that will come. You will be able to feel more comfortable with those little risks when you realize fear is just a part of our life. And think of it as just this little invisible person And you're just going to have to punch that little invisible person every once in a while, especially when it starts to talk into your inner voice and like, oh, you you can't do this. This is, you're not good enough. What if you, people don't like it on and on and on. The what ifs are not going to get you anywhere. So you just punch fear in the face and say, hey, I'm going to give it a go and let's see what happens because I'm going to choose love as often as I can. Really, if you do think about if every action is motivated by love or fear, which one do you want to choose more? You want to choose love. And that's love for yourself. That's love for others. Okay, E, along those lines. So we've just done unperv, and we're at E. Eject the inner voice. So similar to like punching fear in the face, eject the inner voice. Like imagine eject an eject button. You know, so if in all those um, wonderful superhero cars, it's like eject. I, I don't want. I don't want you here. Boom, and you're just going to be tossed out. What if you had an eject button for your inner voice? That inner voice that starts telling you you're not good enough, and you know you don't feel like you are good looking enough, or you're the right size, or you're the right this, or you are on and on and on. Have no talent. Eject it. Just you start to. Again, start to separate that that is an inner voice that is not you. One of my wonderful teacher trainees a while ago called it the bitch in the attic. Like, you know, okay, this is not a, (laughs) this is not a tenant you want to have. So you hit the eject button. So eject the inner voice when you, A, again, when you notice the thoughts and they aren't 
going to take you in the right path. They're going to take you into that toxic perfectionist mode. Boom, hit the button. All right, we've got two more. C, one of my favorite words in the world, compassion. Really practice extending compassion toward yourself and others. So this is love, but this is beyond just love. This is that you want for yourself and for others the feeling of love, of acceptance, and that you can live in the world as much as possible free of suffering. And if you extend that to yourself and believe you deserve it, which you do, you will start to absolutely detest the things in your mind that are not compassionate. You will change that internal chatter to actually support yourself, to hug yourself, to reassure yourself, to appreciate yourself. So practice compassion toward yourself and to others, right? Because perfectionists do tend to hold a high standard for others and often are disappointed by others because who's going to meet a perfectionist standards? No one. So compassion, compassion for the mistakes, compassion for the errors, compassion for the thoughts, compassion for the inner child that was, you know, fill in the blank, that didn't get the affirmations. Compassion. It goes a long way. The last one is T. Tenderize. I love that. And not for the meat part. You know, you tenderize meat to make it softer, but you tenderize, meaning to make something tender, you tenderize your thoughts, your words, your actions. And in tenderizing, you forgive. Forgiveness is a huge part. You forgive yourself for whatever you did to yourself in the past, you did to others in the past. Forgiveness is a huge step along the way for healing and getting over being a perfectionist. It is said that when you practice gratitude or appreciation, it is the antidote to shame and guilt, which are really prevalent qualities in people with kind of toxic perfectionism. So remember these things, unperfect. So we're, we're really, we're not trying to be imperfect. We're trying, trying to unperfect. And in unperfecting, we are going to be better humans because humans are imperfect. We cannot set unrealistically high expectations for ourselves and others because we're always, always going to fall short. And that just is a sucky place to be. <laughs> so instead, let's go for a, a bigger dose of health and happiness and in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits by recognizing that we can have high standards, but we're going to have lots of flaws and failures along the way. But it's the trying, the going for it, the doing our best, truly doing our best. So it's not like to just kind of half-ass it, but to doing our best. This is how we will kind of shake off the higher expectations and embrace and celebrate the successes and also dust off when we have something that didn't go our way. That's the resiliency. That's the adaptability I talk a lot about in my practice on the mat, off the mat, so we can be our best. 
So I hope this helped for any recovering perfectionist or currently practicing perfectionist. I know it's got to be hard to live in that headspace, but I'm hoping this helps you. Please know that we always, as human beings, have the potential for change. And this is not to change you to be something better. It's to change your actions and your thoughts to know how wonderful you already are. All right, that's all for now. As always, I am pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.